You're listening to episode 34 of the Tennis Files podcast with special guest, University of Virginia men's tennis coach, Brian Boland. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 34 of the Tennis Files podcast, and it is my great honor to introduce uh, Coach Brian Bolin to the podcast. Uh, as many of you know, uh, Coach Bolin is the head coach of the University of Virginia men's tennis program. Uh, he took over the helm in 2002, and you know, after a time where Virginia was outside of the top 75, he has brought them into uh uh, the national spotlight with three uh, Division One NCAA championships uh, in 2013, 2015, and uh, this year as well. He's also notched uh, five ITA national team indoor championships, 14 conference championships, and 18 NCAA and ITA individual national championships. Uh, he's just really done so much for the program, and he's produced a lot of top players, many of whom are on the Pro Tour today. Coach Bolin, I just want to welcome you to the show, and I appreciate you joining us today. Thank you, Mirvan. Great to be here, and I appreciate uh, what you do for tennis. Oh, thank you so much. I uh, just, uh, again, you know, I have so much fun talking to uh, just great tennis minds such as yourself. Um, I just want to first off uh, start the show by asking you, you know, Coach Bolin, how did you become the head coach of one of the most successful college tennis teams in, I think, Division One history? Well, it really dates back to where I am today in Terre Haute, Indiana. Um, I was a young 24-year-old interviewing for uh, the head coaching job at Indiana State University, and I'm forever grateful to this institution for providing me an opportunity to be a head coach at the Division One level. Um, that was, uh, you know, something that probably wasn't likely at the time at such a young age. Um, my players weren't that far apart in terms of age from me, so that was a big challenge, and so really all started here, um, where I am today at Indiana State University. And, and then um, after five years as the head coach here, and we had a great deal of success, um, I t was, was able to get an interview at Virginia. And from the minute I stepped on grounds, uh, I really felt the sky was the limit. You know, there was, uh, it was certainly a place that I wanted to be in terms of raising a young family. And more than that, um, it was a, a program that I, I believed could be the best in the country because Virginia really provided the best of all worlds socially, academically, and athletically. And I wanted to um, be at a place where I felt like um, you could be the best at what you did. And certainly um, what we accomplished here at Indiana State was unique. We spent time in the top 20 in the country my last couple of years and um, certainly I believe influenced a lot of young men to go on to do some great things and um, you know that it's just been a fantastic journey. This is my 21st year as a head coach now at Virginia and 
uh, loving every minute of it. Yeah, Coach Bo, I mean, it's incredible what you've done. I mean, it, another crazy stat is that Virginia has been ranked in the top five of the ITA's final rankings in eight of the past 10 seasons. And uh, just even to get Indiana State into the top 20, I mean, is no small feat. I know as a college tennis player at a University of Maryland, Baltimore County, I mean, we never broke the top 100 or anything like that. But um, it's just tough to keep at that high level, and you've managed to do it. Um, just stepping back a little bit, uh, Coach Boland, did you do any coaching um, after you graduated Indiana State uh, in between the coaching uh, job there? Well, very little. Um, that's why I'm so grateful to this institution indiana state for giving me an opportunity you know i talked about it last night and they had the induction ceremony yesterday evening and certainly one of the most humbling experiences I've ever had as a coach um and um i'm just so i'm so grateful because my coaching experience was limited at the time i wasn't long out of college at, at that moment and um you know indiana state gave me a chance and so certainly felt like i made the most of it and i'm forever grateful to Terre Haute and and uh, Indiana State University for that because I think it was unlikely at that young age that you're going to get a chance to be a head coach. And now 21 years later, I love it as much as ever and really feel like I have a chance to influence young men. Hey, Coach Bonus, uh, many congratulations on being inducted to the Hall of Fame at Indiana State University. So personal question, what's one thing that the world doesn't know about you? <laughs> well, um what is one thing that the world doesn't know about me? That is a great question. Uh, probably that uh, they, I think I'm perceived as a pretty intense guy. And my favorite thing to do as a hobby is to fish, to mm -hmm. sit in a boat in a quiet place in the middle of Minnesota, preferably Lake Winnebagosh in the north, mm -hmm. and fish for walleye in a very early morning. Uh, my preferred time would be between 4.30 and 5.30 a.m. out on a lake in Minnesota fishing for walleye. Um, if I want to be at peace and really have a chance to get creative and relax and where my mind's at my best, there's probably no better place on earth. I like it. I Not like many it. people probably know that. Huh. That's pretty cool. Um, why Minnesota? I grew up there. Um, okay. I grew up in Minnesota. I... Uh, originally from St. Cloud, Minnesota. Um, was always a Gopher fan growing up, and uh, I, um, you know, I love the state. Um, people are amazing. It's too cold. Uh, I don't miss that part of it. I always joke that I'm still unthawing for my first 18 years there. <laughs> but nonetheless, um, my wife reminds me, who's also from Minnesota, that um, you know that's where I love to be when I get a chance, and so we will get it an opportunity every summer to go up there and visit family. We have a family reunion once a year and um, yeah, there probably is no better place uh, in June and July in the world than Northern Minnesota. Um, it's a pretty special part of the world. Ah, that's pretty cool. I have to visit some time. So coach Bolin, um, you know, you've, you've pretty much checked off every checkbox there is in college tennis. Uh, you've produced some amazing uh, tennis players out of the program. You've won the, you know, the biggest championships there are. But what gets you out of bed and uh, continues to keep you excited to keep getting the best out of your players and yourself every day? Well, I, I've always believed that it's it's one thing to try to climb to the top. Um, I think it's even harder to stay there. So I look at that as a challenge each and every day, and I love challenge. Um, I'm always looking for new ways to improve and learn and get better. I think anytime you stop learning, um, you tend to become less motivated. 
So there's so much information out there. And regardless of the success that you might have on the scoreboard, there's so much you can learn and be innovative and creative and try to think outside the box and uh, learn from your players and fellow staff members. And so I just, I look at every day as, as a challenge in that way. Um, I also really believe it's a, an obligation um, in my position and certainly a privilege to influence young men. Um, you know, I don't think there's anything more important in coaching um, than being a, a leader. And leaders have influence for good or bad in everything they say and do by their behaviors, their words, their actions. So I want to be somebody that you know, uh, is a, is a tremendous leader for these guys. So I have to, you know, make sure that I lead my life in a way that influences them, um, to become not only better tennis players, more importantly, better people. And, you know, that's kind of how I look at coach, uh, developing players as well as I really believe it's all about leadership. And I think, you know, once they can become better leaders as young men, great things are going to happen. So to me, there's just so much opportunity to learn and get better and influence people in a positive way. Um, I just love it. Well, I think two great points there, Coach Bull, and one is just uh, to never stagnate no matter where you are, even if you're number one. Always try to find ways to improve yourself. Uh, it's a huge key lesson there. If you don't, then you'll uh, people will overcome uh, You know where you are. And also just uh, your dedication to developing uh, great human beings and leaders, which is what we need more of in the world. Uh, you know, I just really appreciate what you're doing. Um you know, oh, no problem. And so just speaking to adversity, um, even though this, you know, for 99% of the teams would be amazing. Um, so University of Virginia, you, you know, you lost in the finals of both the ACC tournament, which you won the past nine years. That's incredible. And the finals of the national indoor. So given that uh, new type of uh, scenario for your team, how did your team bounce back to win the NCAA title? There's a culture at UVA right now in our men's tennis program that they really embrace the process. And it didn't happen overnight. It took years and years to build the understanding that if we're going to be successful um, and accomplish the things we want to, both uh, as people and players, we need to make sure that we embrace the process. And I don't think that's anything new that you hear about in sports, but it's one thing to say it and it's another thing to do it. And I also believe that one of the things that we really emphasize in that process is that if we're going to win together, we have to be able to lose together. You know, the, the fastest way to learn about your team is, is uh, how they handle losing together. You know, it's, uh, it, I don't think it's quite as hard to win together. There tends to be uh, some people that become a lot less agitated when you're in a locker room that uh, wins matches 7-0 uh, versus getting beat in a convincing litter in a close match. And so for us, we just looked at that as an opportunity. And it's, again, it, we talked about it as a team. Um, we collaborated amongst one another and, and, and discussing things uh, when we had setbacks and they just really embraced it. And so, you know, the, and I think in a lot of ways too, you know, we, we won uh, for nine years, 277 straight days of ACC matches mm -hmm. and every time we played another ACC team that came with a little bit of extra pressure mm -hmm. I think there was a, a, a little bit of weight on the players that played those matches no matter how much I tried to disregard the history or tell them it really didn't matter 
you know, there's still young people that want to, you know, carry the weight of history and make people proud who played for the program and the fans who have supported us so long. So it has to be part of that streak ending after almost 10 straight years. Um, but I think, I believe in the end, it, it really helped. I think it depressurized them a little bit. And then, you know, I think a bit of it goes to the credit of the ACC. You know, there's more depth in the ACC than ever. There's teams that are now competing at the highest level. Year after year, we had as many as four teams in the top 10 this year. And that's a big positive for the ACC. So um, I think it's a number of factors that really helped us in putting all that in perspective. And, you know, really because we embraced the process, it brought us closer together. Yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, another key, just uh, focusing on the process in general, because that just um, it eliminates, or as much as possible, it it, it lets you uh, disregard uh, you know emotions or other extraneous factors. And you know, obviously, it's easier said than done. But if you can train yourself to do that, that's that would be great. <laughs> um, yeah. it, you know, one problem that a lot of teams have you you talked about how your team is so cohesive is um, when you have players who are perhaps on the cusp of making the lineup and they don't quite make it. And I'm just wondering how you deal with um, players who aren't able to play in the lineup and, and, you know, how you kind of set the guidelines for, you know, how people make the team and what they should be doing if they're not on, you know, playing in the starting lineup and things like that. Well, most of the young men that I recruit, you know, they, they want to they be the best. And oftentimes they are used to, playing at the highest level of junior tennis, both in this country and around the world. Uh, so if they truly want to be the best, they embrace being around the best on a daily basis and realize that if they really want to get the most out of themselves, they have to maximize their challenge. So if they want to start at the bottom of the mountain and work their way to the top and be challenged on a day-to-day -day basis, this is a good place to do it. If you want to start at the top and you want the program to be about you, um, and not play for something bigger than yourself, this probably isn't the place to go. So, again, I'm not judging it as it being uh, for everybody, uh, but it's going to take a, a level of humility, uh, the embracement of challenge and pressure uh, to be able to uh, want to play in a program that is you're going to be surrounded with you know, five, six other incredibly talented, uh, hardworking players. And I... I believe at the end of the day, uh, if you want to be great at something, you, you really have to embrace the opportunity uh, to be around the best. And it's different for everybody, you know. Uh, but fortunately for me, we've had a number of players that are willing to take that risk. Uh, they they want to – they're willing to come in and say, you know what, I'm not guaranteed that nobody is, not guaranteed a top six spot or a particular position. But, look, I'm willing to start at the – the bottom of the mountain and climb my way to the top. And to me, that's something that um, I give these guys a tremendous amount of credit for. And I think at the end of the day, they, they look at that as a big opportunity and you have to, they're extremely grateful for it. And if you're not grateful on a day-to-day -day basis, you're, you're not going to get anything out of it. So you have to come in with a growth mindset. Um, be extremely grateful for the opportunity. Uh, have tremendous respect for your teammates around you. And know that every day, in order for you to, uh, you know, have an opportunity to have the impact that you eventually want to, um, you're, you're going to have to really 
walk on the court and based on everything that you say and do on a daily basis, you're either going to get better or worse. And if you come to a program like Virginia, um, getting worse is probably not an option because you're going to, you're not going to have a chance to compete on a daily basis in the lineup. Um, so I've always told my players that, you know, I don't, I don't believe people stay the same. I think by everything that you say and do, you either get better or worse. Um, I, I, and I really do believe that. I, I believe that's for coaches, and that's why we can say, you know, look, we went undefeated and we, we won the NCAA championship, but that doesn't mean that um, we can't regress, that we once we stop learning and growing and have an open mind and listen and learn and set new standards and get creative, um, you know, we as coaches and leaders can, can regress as well. Um, so I think that's true for everybody, both coaches and players, and to come to a program like this, you really have to, hold yourself accountable to the highest standards and um, be the type of person that wants to climb the highest mountain. I think that's uh, just amazing advice. It's a goldmine, and everyone should listen to that three times. So what you just said. Um, Coach Bullen, so you, know, you're, you maintain just an amazing uh, top-level team. Can you talk about some of the challenges that uh, you face uh, year after year in, in maintaining um, you know, the level of your team? Well, I think probably one of the challenges that come about is that what you mentioned when you asked me the question, how do you not get complacent? You know, you, 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 to win um, and, and, and get to the top is one thing, but to stay there and have the energy and pass, passion and enthusiasm for yourself is one thing. And then to also get everyone else around you um, to be committed to that daily grind and process um, and eagerness to continue to, to compete at the highest level um, is challenging. And so uh, it's really important that I think our players and coaches um, don't spend a lot of time looking at recent results, but focus on how we can get better every single day. Players will win a match and you know what, let's just uh, move on to the next one uh, rather than really trying to critique what it is that they could improve on. Um, not be critical of it, but to critique how can I continue to develop? Well, what are some things that I could have done better? And, and am I maximizing my strengths? Um, and, and it's just a constant uh, battle to make sure that you're holding yourself and others around you accountable to, to strive to get better every single day. Like I said, you either get better or worse. You never stay the same. Yeah, I think that's uh, wonderful advice as well. Um, it just it, it kind of makes me visualize the uh, the football teams uh, who they always analyze the tape after their matches. They're always analyzing every little detail. Um, I mean, every point counts, as everybody knows, in all these matches. And so, uh, just the continual striving to get better, um, you know, day after day. Um, so, Coach Roland, in an interview uh, with UVA Magazine last year, you said that it takes a village to be the best at what you can do. Uh, can you expand upon uh, the statement and tell us what you mean by this? Well, I really believe that's one of the biggest missing ingredients with our sport is that too often, either because we lack the opportunity or resources or even more the understanding um, that it takes a team to be great. And I think oftentimes tennis is such a, a, a kind of a selfish sport where it's about me. You oftentimes um, forget um, that it's going to take uh, a full 
understanding of development in all areas of your life in tennis to be great and to maximize yourself. And I oftentimes think as coaches, uh, and I'm speaking specifically about the tennis coaches, we tend to uh, emphasize ourselves as being so important. And we are just a spoke in the wheel. And so I think it's really important for us coaches to educate the players that it's going to take a team around them to maximize themselves because you rarely meet a coach who has the time and the knowledge to understand every area of development. So in other words, if you, are you this person's best physio? Are you the best nutritionist for this person? Are you the best fitness coach for this person? Are you the best trainer for this person? Are you the best tennis coach for this person? Are you the best parent for this person? So within that team, everybody's a spoke in the wheel. And when, when, it, when the, and I think not only does the player have to be educated on the importance of that, but more importantly, sometimes the leaders within that team have to understand within a staff that we all need to be on the same page. We need to collaborate and we need to, we need to understand that we're all equally as important. You know, I'll sit with my staff at UVA and a lot of times the players having a lot of success and I'll say, you know what? We don't know what percentage each of us in this room's had. Maybe it's the academic advisor that's pulled that kid up to having a, uh, a lot of success and peace of mind on the court. Maybe it's our physio. Maybe it's our strength coach. Maybe it's our trainer. Maybe it's the team mentor. Maybe it's the tennis coach. But you know what? It doesn't matter. It, it's irrelevant. It might be 5% here, 10% there, and, and so on. But the same thing goes when a player is, is not succeeding or really struggling. We all need to carry some weight of that responsibility. And we don't really know how much it is. We may have ideas, but again, that doesn't matter. What matters is is that everyone pulls together and collaborates to develop a plan to improve things when a player is struggling. And then when a player is having a lot of success, not only do you want to make sure that nobody says, well, it's about me or it's about me. I think, again, making the player understand that it's a team effort and we need to continue to strive to strive to develop plans to get better in each area within reason. Um, I, success is, to me, harder to deal with than failure because very few people succeed day after day and year after year. So if you do not master how to manage success, you're going to be in big trouble. And you see it all the time. You see a young man who wins his first big tournament or wins a national championship or wins his first, you know, a sectional event. And immediately they lose themselves a little bit. They stop being humble. The people around them get too high or too low uh, versus what's happened or not happened. And everything kind of um, deregulates a little bit or just doesn't stay stable. So you can't continue to have a clear mind to improve and to develop plans to move forward. I mean, I've seen it all the time. Young man has success and now everybody gets even more greedy for, oh, we got to change this. We have to change that. You know, we have and they, they tend to go to too far of extreme measures. Um, or the young man doesn't stay humble enough because he's not led well enough. Um, so there, and, and then the expectations are so difficult to deal with to keep everything in perspective. You know, so it's keeping that even keel and that centeredness emotionally, both as leaders and as a player. And it starts with the, the staff who's leading the player um, or the village to, to make it work. It just, it, it, I don't think there's anything more important than developing a player. That's it. Amazing advice, Coach Bowen. So 
what I'm wondering is, obviously, a lot of your athletes are very self-motivated, and, and it really comes from them, uh, you know, all the su- success that your team is having. But what types of systems or maybe um, weekly or daily uh, things do you have in place to ensure that your players uh, succeed? Well, I think, it, again, it goes back to the team of people around them, but it's the team of people around them that are communicating uh, on a daily basis with that player. So everybody's on the same page. And that's why for me, uh, having daily or weekly dialogues where not only are things spoken, but they're also put in writing, it's really important to enhance communication and prevent problems. So I provide my players a questionnaire once a week, takes maybe 15 minutes to fill out, takes a tremendous amount of discipline, even though it's 15 minutes to do it on a regular basis. But what it does is it provides uh, accountability, not only for the player, but for the staff. And so when, when that accountability is on both sides and that consistent communication and understanding and openness is there, um, again, you just continue to get better. For sure. I mean, accountability is perhaps one of the you know, secrets to success. Uh, I mean, oftentimes when people know that, uh, you know, there won't be any consequences to um, their inaction, then they uh, they don't act. But when they know somebody's counting on them, uh, a whole team or parent or anybody, then that's when uh, action always happens, uh, tends to always happen. So obviously recruiting. Well, and, and I, I, oh, I think, Mayor I think that's true with the staff as well. I think oftentimes we need to, uh, we need to share in that daily discipline and that accountability. You know, I think oftentimes uh, players transition from being players in the game to coaches. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they, they believe that now it's, it's, it, there's, there's a real skill to be developed to understand that you need to make sure that you continue to as a coach, learn, have a growth mindset, to suffer, to listen, to be open-minded, to be coachable. Oftentimes, we think that it's all those things that we were asked to do now are only things that we ask of the player. And I think a lot of times, we have to continue to do the things that we're asking of our players. We ask our players to be grateful. As coaches, we need to be grateful. We ask our players to have a growth mindset. As as coaches, we need to have a growth mindset. suffer. As coaches, we need to suffer. So if we're not consistently doing those things and we're just kind of in the background talking about them, it's very unlikely it's going to resonate with our player. Certainly. I mean, that goes to credibility. And um, I mean, for example, if you have a, a fitness coach who is obese or something like that, I mean, it's just you have less of a chance of your players having buy-in, <laughs> uh, you know, so... But um, uh, great stuff, Coach Boland. So a huge part of your um, uh, of what you do is recruiting. Um, so uh, tell me where you travel to recruit and how, how much of the year do you spend recruiting? You know, I, I think of the overall job at this point of where our programs are, I spend a very l- low percentage of my time recruiting. But I think we recruit every day, you know. Um, and what do I mean by that? I mean, the best way to recruit is, is do a great job with your house. You know, take care of the young men that you have in, their, in the program. Uh, make sure that they're thriving, they're enjoying it, they're, they're energized, that they're getting better, they're developing, um, and that, that they, they love representing your program. Um, when recruits come on grounds, we call it grounds rather than campus at Thomas Jefferson's University, 
they feel an energy. I mean, it, it's hard. Yeah, I mean, you can, you can fool kids for a day or two, but at the end of the day, through the recruiting process nowadays, I think it's really important um, that if you want to be great at what you do and you want to bring in the best players in the country, you better do a great job with what you have. And you also need to make sure that in recruiting that, uh, you, in, at least what we do, is I have a strategy behind every single player that I recruit so I know exactly what it is, what my goals are. I don't just recruit to recruit. I mean, there's there's too much going on and there's too little time. So I want to make sure that whoever I decide to pursue, um, there's a reason for it. Like, I don't just go to a tournament. I used to go to a tournament when I was just building a program because I was kind of just feeling it out and I was in a it was. I had a higher volume of kids that I had to kind of get on the list and see where everybody would fit in. But nowadays, everything is really efficient, super strategic. Um, and I wanted to get to that point as soon as I could, can at UVA. And we were able to do that in a very short period of time after a few years and never looked back on that. I mean, everything's done with a purpose, um, very efficient and disciplined mindset. Um, and you need to make sure that, you again, that whatever it is you're doing, you know why. And what you what you want to get out of it. So um, I think our best recruiting is really uh, what we've been able to do with the program and the young men that are in it. And I think uh, prospects that come on grounds feel that, and they can sense that from the players just by being around the culture for a few days. And nowadays, you know, the young men that we're recruiting, they come on a couple official visits, maybe more, and then. Um, I think recruits really have an ample opportunity to get to know what they're getting into, and that's important. It needs to be uh, this reasonable and honest and clear expectations on both sides. So when you recruit, I mean, there's a couple of different factors that are tough, um, some of which are solved by just how, how great of a program you guys are. But, you know, obviously proximity, a lot of the players are very far away or foreign, and the sheer volume of, of players that want to play for your program. So how do you kind of deal with those things and how are you able to target players uh, with, with these types of uh, difficulties? Well, fortunately for us over the years, we've been able to primarily um, have young men that are local on our team. You know, we've had a number of uh, young men from Virginia in many years. We started three of our starting six from our own state because the mid Atlantic has done such a tremendous job of developing players. Um, there's some great uh, academies and coaches in our area and just done a tremendous job with the, with the young student athletes. And so I would say over the last 10 years, the vast majority of our team has been um, local kids, American kids. So they have a much better idea what they're getting into and, and vice versa. We, we've followed them for a long time um, and, and seen them play uh, and obviously have a little bit better understanding of what they're all about. Um, because they're closer to home. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, we haven't recruited internationally. We certainly have. We've had some of our finest student-athletes ever uh, be international uh, kids, such as Samdev Devarman, who had an incredible impact, not only in our tennis program, but our university as a whole. And he just bought a house in Charlottesville several years ago. He's one of the most humble, hardworking, um, admired former student-athletes in Virginia history. In fact, when he graduated in 2008, uh, he was named uh, Student Athlete of the Year, Male Student Athlete of the Year. 
And runner-up in that category was Chris Long, the number two draft pick in the NFL. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and, and uh, I remember at the same time Singletary, who was on our basketball team, uh, who played for the Mavericks and some other NBA teams, was was in that category as well. So the impact that a, a young man like Sam DeVarman had, not only uh, on, in our tennis program, but at the university and the athletic department and so on, uh, is profound. And so... In fact, a, a short side note to that, I'll never forget when Samdev was being introduced for winning a national championship in front of a full house uh, and at Scott Stadium, uh, our football stadium, and it was during a timeout. And not only did 60,000 fans get on their feet, but so did the players at the very end of the timeout clapping on the sideline for this young tennis player, not just because he was a winner on the court, but everyone knew him. He came here in 2004. He's never left. Um, and he, he's just, he represents the university and everything that's right about being a student athlete for all those years. So pretty powerful and impactful. Um, but I wouldn't say, you know, at the end of the day, people say, you know, is it, are, are young men overseas more eager? Do they want it more? No, I don't think so. I, I don't think so. I think there's, there's, there's kids everywhere that have great character. They work hard, whether they're in the state of Virginia or, you know, in Europe or Asia or wherever, um, there's there's young people everywhere that maybe don't work as hard and uh, aren't as appreciative for the opportunities they have. And the same goes in the U.S. So, again, it's our job as coaches to find what is best for our program at that time, be strategic and efficient in our approach. And, um, and, and then at the end of the day, you compete for young men in recruiting. And if it doesn't work out, you wish them the best. You know, you, you can't win them all. And you know what? This isn't the best place for everybody. Um, and that's true for every university. Uh, that's great stuff. And, um, you know, one of my favorite, uh, friend of mine, Tread Huey, we had him on episode seven of the podcast, a uh, wonderful guy doing great things. Uh, I think he's, was it, uh, number three in the, in the world on the ATP tour. And uh, as far as a doubles team and, uh, I think number 16 or so incredible, and then also you'd have had Sanam Singh, uh, Ryan Shane. Uh, and actually, I was at Charlottesville uh, a few months ago. I uh, tried my hand out at an ITF uh, Futures Tournament. Uh, got beat up in the first round. Um, but I saw, uh, uh, and forgive me if I'm pronouncing his name incorrectly, but uh, Tyson uh, Kwiatkowski. Yeah, uh, very good. Yeah, thanks. I probably butchered that. But um, yeah, I saw no. him playing. Oh, thank you. I, I, I saw him pl- uh, practicing while I was playing qualies and a uh, very talented young man. And I tracked his results and he's actually doing great. Uh, you know, he's got made the semis of several ITFs. And uh, he, I think he's around 600 or so in the world right now. Um, so can you kind of talk about, uh, just how he's developed as a player? Just cause I think, you know, our audience loves to follow players and see what they've done correctly and, and how, why they are so successful. Sure. Well, uh, Ty's an interesting, you know, uh, story in terms of when he came to Virginia, I think he, um, lacked the kind of confidence that he probably deserved. Um, he is, uh, he's obviously an outstanding player and was, uh, developed extremely well fundamentally from coaches uh, both down in Boca Raton where U.S. player development exists as well as in his hometown of Charlotte. You know, he had some coaches who did a really um, good job with Ty fundamentally. Um, but Ty n- knew that he needed to become a better competitor. And one of the things that I think really resonated with Ty in our program was for him to be a better competitor, he needed to become a leader. And that's something that I – 
am obsessed with, quite honestly. I really believe that it's my obligation to make every single young man in our program a better leader. And when they leave the program, they're ready to be leaders of their own tennis, leaders in their communities, in their professions, in their families. And to me, that really resonated with him. If you think about what is a leader, um, they're, they're, it's extremely complex. And there's a number of terms that will come to your mind. You know, if we start naming you know, I've been in crowds before where I ask people, you know, what is a leader? And, you know, you can come up with 20, 30, 40 different terms. But all of those things really resonate with what develops a young man and what provides him the inner belief and confidence, the freedom, the peace of mind, the clarity to unlock those skills and talents that they have. And so I, I really believe Ty bought into that process and really has developed into a strong believer. He internally believes in himself. He has a lot of self-confidence. Um, he is, he's really, I think, understood the importance of uh, making sure that he uh, takes advantage and is grateful for all the resources in terms of the staff and how important each staff member is to his development. So he's embraced that aspect of it which has been huge for him, instead of saying, well, if I just go out and spend five hours a day on the back end, everything's fine. You know, I think Ty's understood that everything he says and does on and off the court is, is going to develop him as a player and that he's really uh, put a, a large priority on his taking care of his body, making good decisions off the court, feeding himself with positive information, surrounding himself with, with uh, high-level people, mentors, positive people, um, ties embraced all those things that connect the dots to developing his skills on the court, to continue to develop his skills on the court. He has a great identity on the court, but that I think really comes with that he really knows who he is and how he needs to play uh, to be successful. Um, he also has a tremendous amount of grace, which I think was missing at times on the court. He's extremely disciplined. Um, and is he perfect? No. but we're not talking about anybody being perfect. Um, if they were perfect when they when they came, I wouldn't have a job. And so he's he was extremely challenging when he came. But what's so gratifying for me as a coach is to see him connect all these dots to his development and understand how one thing affects another, um, and, and and embrace that and and, and then uh, watch him improve year after year after year. And that's why he is right now. He's gone from. You know, being, a, I think, a, a good junior um, to arguably the best or one of the best college players in the country and certainly competitive um, on the on the pro circuit. I mean, there's no question that, you know, whether he's 600 or 300 right now, I mean, Ty walks on, on the court and plays anybody, um, even in the top 100, he's going to have a competitive match. So he's going to have that opportunity to play full-time professional tennis come June upon graduation. And um, I think he's going to do really well and surprise some people because Ty really believes in himself, and he should. He's earned the right to. He's learned to connect the dots. He understands how um, how important each aspect of his development is, and how he can't have one without the other. You know, he really understands that if he doesn't take care of the entire every branch on the tree, and he doesn't water one side, the other side's going to die. You know, I always love that analogy, and I use it often. Um, so. Um, he's a really bright kid. I mean, Ty is extremely smart, um, and he he's really embraced 
the learning and the culture and the opportunity and, and has great appreciation for the University of Virginia and the University of Virginia tennis program. And that's why he is where he is. Oh, I mean, he's definitely an incredible player. And, and I love that analogy really about having to, you know, water all sides of the tree. Um, you know, I, I just interviewed uh, uh, Dr. Mark Kovacs, who's a very well-known, um, you know, fitness expert, in the, especially in the field of tennis. And so in his book, he talks about how, you know, you have to address all sides of your fitness. I mean, the stretching, the strength, the speed, agility, um, and also if you work out one side of your body, you're going to de- develop imbalances and be injured. And, uh, you know, it's just you have to really be balanced and and focus on all the all the parts of uh, what you need to do to be successful. Mark Kovacs is uh, without question one of the best in our business. Uh-huh. And um, he has helped and served so many young people in our sport. Um, and although I do not know him personally, I have followed him. I've read uh, and paid attention to the work that he's done over the years, and um, we need more like him. He's done a tremendous job. I agree. Uh, just a fantastic guy, and he he released uh, Complete Condition for Tennis, uh, second edition, a couple months ago, and I picked that up, and I've been learning a lot from that. So, um, fantastic. So, yeah, one more uh, player profile for you. Uh, obviously, you can tell I'm a huge fan of Tret, uh, as as you are. Um, can you talk about a couple things that uh, that really developed uh, in his game and mindset that uh, propelled him to such a successful uh, professional career? Well, I think one thing that Tread does a lot better than else is he, he is who he is, and he lets the game come to him. He doesn't force things. Um, Tread has an ability to keep things very simple, and therefore I believe he has a clear mind. He loves competing. And he became a much better competitor over the years. I think he started to, in college, I thought he did a really good job of really developing some strengths and using them to his advantage. And then he continued to get better and have a more complete game on the Pro Tour. You know, the thing I admire so much about Tret is that Tret is one of these guys that doesn't force things. You know, he, he keeps things in tr- great perspective. He has reasonable expectations, so he doesn't get ahead of himself. Um, he is so grateful for the opportunity to play this game, and you felt it when he was in college, and you feel it today. Um, and having that that grateful attitude goes a long ways. And appreciate his teammates, the university, the coaches, um, and just every single blessing he had at UVA. And he really had the full college experience, and because of that. Um, I really believe his game came together and he got the most out of his time at UVA. When I signed Ty, or sorry, when I signed Tret, he was, I think he was ranked 72 in the USTA when I signed him. In that year after signing, he continued to get better even up till the time he arrived. And in every year he was there, um, he improved. And all credit to him because he took advantage of all the resources his teammates, his coaches, uh, all the blessings that he had on a daily basis. And he never, he was so graceful in his approach, you know. He never got too high, never got too low. He always kept it in perspective. He was extremely humble. Um, and even when he had great success, you never, you never felt like he wasn't ready to go to work the next day. Mm-hmm. And I'm not surprised that Tread has, has had the, the success he has on the Pro Tour. You know, it, it was just one of those guys that I knew was going to was going to um, be out there a long time. 
he's kind of meant for it. You know, you think about the Pro Tour and what comes to mind is adversity. A lot of tough, dark moments, lonely times, traveling, grinding. You hear it all the time. You know, it's such a grind. It doesn't phase Trent like it does everyone else. And that's kind of true with everything that happened when we were at UVA. Like, we'd lose a tough match. And Trent was always the one to, you know, keep it all in perspective and, you know, go for a run and hit a few balls. And the next day, he was fine. You know, he just had an innate ability to bounce back. And credit to Menina and Kirk, his parents, Mm -hmm. because they really allowed Trent to be himself, to enjoy the process, to not get ahead of himself, um, and to keep things in perspective. You know, Manini used to tease me about the fact that, well, you know, he, he's, I don't know if he'll ever be a pro, but let's make sure he does well in school and, you know, he's not going to be a pro and this and that. And I think in the back of their mind, in the back of her mind, she knew he could. But at the same time, she wanted to make sure that he didn't put too much pressure on himself, that he enjoyed the process, um, and that he kept things in perspective. And to be honest, in all my years of coaching, um, I don't know if I've met anyone that kind of has the grace and, ability to bounce back and keep things in perspective as well as Tred Healy. I mean, he is a special guy. I honestly could see him playing pro tennis till he's 40 or more. Well, you know, he's got a partner who's, uh, I think, 40 or almost 40, uh, and Max Murney, uh, quite an athlete. Um, but, yeah, Tred is I just – yeah, I mean, Trent is just uh, really amazing. His, his personality uh, on and off the court, uh, as you mentioned, is just the even keelness of uh, of his demeanor and very professional and a uh, great guy, uh, you know, very humble. The other, the other thing he did really well is like to, they really took areas of his game and tried to become more complete over time. You know, rather than like forcing things, he would focus on uh, little by little becoming more complete rather than trying to do it overnight he's been doing that his entire career and even to this day that i see little every time every time Trek comes back i see another tool in his toolbox and he didn't force it he just allowed it to come to him and then know when to use it and i I just i have so much respect and admiration for trent huey i can't tell you he was one of the best leaders that ever wore the orange and blue and that was because he had an ability to appreciate things and continue to work hard to improve every day and keep things in perspective. And one of the most likable guys ever. I mean, how can you not love Tread Huey? Yeah, uh, for sure. And, you know, when he came on the podcast, one thing that he mentioned that uh, was just uh, really struck me was the, uh, you know, when I asked him, you know, what's what's the key to succeeding on the Pro Tour? He said it was, uh, the ability to deal with losing and adversity because obviously as a pro- professional tennis player, you are losing a lot of the time. And so, you know, some weeks you just lose and lose, lose five times in a row and you just got get back up and start playing. And I think you can attribute that to, as you said, Tret's, uh being grateful uh, for the opportunity to play the game and how much he enjoys the game and is, is just going out and improving every day. And uh, just uh, the best professional outlook you can possibly have on uh, for the game. Um, you know, jumping back to uh, your team, well, that is your team, but specifically uh, what you do in season. Um, you know, there, obviously there's a fall season and and then the uh, the main season for you. But what's your goal for the team during the fall season? I think the fall season, you know, we try to build ourselves up throughout the season, and I really do look at the fall as, as a 
opportunity for them to have some freedom um, to compete in different tournaments that best suit them, uh, to spend time uh, individually working on the things that they need to. We don't have mandatory team practice in the fall. Uh, we have mandatory individuals in the fall, and then we ha- we switch that in the spring, where we have mandatory team practice in the spring and optional individuals in the fall in the spring. So we just flip it around uh, mm-hmm. based on the spring being a team season and the fall being uh, the individual portion of our season. So we treat it such as that. Um, every player is in a little bit different situation, uh, mentally, physically, emotionally, and so we, I think really work hard to uh, keep things as simple as possible, but as focused on what each individual's needs are as, po- as much as possible. And so, you know, they're spread out a little bit in the fall. You know, we've got guys in different tournaments all over the country. Uh, we have three coaches that work with the team. So we're able to um, try to have some coaches maybe that have the, a similar travel schedule to two or three guys each. So there's some continuity in that sense, but we all work together. Uh, We don't spend as much time together as a team in the fall because of that, but the guys have embraced that. They understand that and they know it's a long academic year. And by the end of the year, we'll be as close a team as anybody in the country. Um, So there's a, there's a real understanding um, of kind of that journey that we need to take together. And it is one that, we tend to um, provide a lot of freedom in the fall, a lot of freedom. And, uh, you know, some guys, because of the past six months, need less tournaments, more tournaments. Um, And so we sit down with each player individually and try to work out a kind of a roadmap as to what's best for them. And because the the players leave so much of the staff, that they don't really – worry about what the next guy's doing, you know, in, in terms of his schedule or, or, or his individuals or what's needed. They know everybody's working to be the best they can be. So, and then come springtime, you know, we start our dual matches in February and, you know, February, March, April, May, that's really team dual matches and team time. And it's obviously the most exciting time of the year. It's when the guys really start to uh, build up the, 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 the time together and make the most use of it and really come together as a team. And um, it's been a great formula for us. Uh, The journeys have been incredibly special. Every team is different and I'm very fortunate to have the team I do now. I can't imagine having a better group of guys or more impressive culture. And, you know, I think there's an element too, as coaches that, you know, as college coaches, it's very easy to kind of think that you need to control everything. And, one thing I, I've really enjoyed in my own development as a coach is giving by giving the guys more freedom in the fall, um, they learn things happen. You know, the other day I was in a similar interview as the one I am right now, and it took a while to set things up, and I got behind, and my assistant was out of town, and my other assistant had a, had, was out of town somewhere, and I think there were six guys waiting for me. Well, they didn't wait for me. I mean, I showed up about 45 minutes late, they did the dynamic, the warm-up, and they were in full practice. I mean, it, they, they, it was amazing. So, again, it's that kind of culture where they just go to work. You know, they, they realize that, you know, they, they shouldn't have to need someone there all the time to continue to get better 
And yes, it's important to have guidance. It's important to have leadership. It's important to have someone that supports you, but they also have to learn that, you know, they're going to need to need to be, have a lot of self-initiative too. And if they don't have that, they're only going to go so far as a player or as a professional in anything else they do. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You know, Coach Bowen, I was um, definitely surprised when you mentioned that there's no uh, no team practices in the fall. I think that's probably not the norm in college tennis, but I think, you know, as you explained, um, uh, I think that definitely works for your team. And it's just kind of a clarifying question. So is part of the reason why, and this is a two-parter, I guess, so is part of the reason is why, why you don't have team practices is because a lot of players have individual tournaments and are perhaps playing in ITFs and things like that. Um, that's the first part. And then the second is, did you always uh, not have um, team practices and, and was it always uh, individual, like, you know, from, from when you got to Virginia? No, well, we actually offer team practice every day in the fall. Oh, you um, offer it. Okay. We offer it. Yeah. But we make it optional in the fall. Right. And then in the spring, individuals are optional. Got it. So in the fall, the individuals are mandatory and team practice is optional. Got it. In the spring, individuals are optional and team practice is mandatory. Gotcha. So we just flip it. Um, You know, we have probably, let's say during team practice, the guys have to do individuals every day in the fall. I would say we probably have 70% show up for team practice. But honestly, I don't want to hear why they don't. It's totally optional. Mm-hmm. And most of our team practices in that case in the fall are su- surrounded around competitive situations, point play, improvised point play, tiebreakers, sets, and so on. So we use that time pretty well to compete. And look, um, we have to allow the guys and trust the guys to have the freedom to decide whether or not they need two practices every day. We want to, as a staff, offer it. But it Every day for every guy is not necessary. And so it gives them the flexibility based on what else they have going on in their lives, uh, how they feel physically and mentally, to decide whether it's best to go to a second practice. But the opportunity is always there. The same goes in the spring. The individuals are optional. Some days they, they, you know, they end up doing both, and some days they don't. But they have to show up at team practice in the spring. And it's a system that took me a long time to – uh, to put together and believe that's what's best for us. But you know what? One thing I take a lot of pride in is we're constantly changing and evolving, adapting, adjusting to each team in each situation. And next year it might be different. But right now, I mean, I can't imagine a better system for the team I have and the group of individuals. Uh, these guys are really self-motivated. They have a lot of experience. They're special young men, and they're going to go places. They're all leaders. Every single one of them are leaders. 
That's wonderful to hear. And so I'm just curious about the individuals, how that's kind of structured. I mean, obviously, it, is it just a one player and then a couple coaches, or how does that work with those practices? Um, it's it's one-on-one, uh, or sometimes there's two players and one coach, sometimes two coaches and one player. But what we do try to do is that each of the three coaches is a bit of a lead coach for probably th- three of the guys on our team. So if there's two coaches and it's a, a particular player, I know whether it's me or Carlos or Dustin who would lead the practice. It's not going to be me all the time. Um, and you know what? I don't think that would be healthy. I, I, I believe it's important that um, we all take a lead in different circumstances because, look, I don't care whether you're on a tennis team, you're on a coaching staff, everybody's a leader because you have influence and everyone has to have the opportunity to use that influence at the right time in the right setting. And really one of my jobs as a leader is to decide how and when we're going to do that. How does the ratio of um, strength training, conditioning and uh, practices and, and, point play and such how does that change from uh the fall season to the spring Uh, i mean do you reduce certain parameters uh, as you get to uh, dual matches well we do it's a little bit easier in the spring because you know we know when the team matches are so you know everyone's on a different schedule in the fall so our our physio needs to be a lot more um creative in the fall and much more you know collaborative with the coaches and the players and make sure they're constantly adapting, adjusting to the different schedules that everybody has versus in the spring where it's a little bit more white and black because we know when the dual matches are, we know when everyone's traveling, everyone's at team practice every day. Um, a little bit simpler in the spring, but, um, you know, the fitness never stops. I mean, we, we do fitness all the way through the year, including NCAs. So it's not like we're like, well, you know, we're at NCAs. We get into a routine and we stick to it. We may do less or more, of course, but we do it throughout the year. And, um, you know, again, you, you, can, you get into a routine and the, what gear you're in will depend on what point of the season you're in and what's going on. And it, it takes both. You know, the players have to be leaders of their own game as well. And if they don't learn to become leaders, they're only going to go so far with the sport. And you're only going to be so, so, good, so good as a team collectively. So you mentioned uh, briefly uh, about uh, your practices, what you do in them, but could you take us through, you know, one, I know there's many different uh, ways to practice, but one ideal uh, practice session for your team and what you do. Sure. Um, well, everyone's got to be on the court on the minute. Um, that That is for sure. That There are certain rules that are white and black, and then there's others that I think you have to look at on a more individual basis. But being on time is being on time. You're either on time or you're not. So if we have a practice at 3.30, everybody's on the court at 3.30, standing in a circle waiting for me to describe what we're going to do for practice that day and why. So this is what we're doing. This is how we're going to do it, and this is why. And we go through that probably within three to five minutes. Then they get on the line. They do the dynamic, um, and then they follow uh, the practice guidelines that I set forth. And it's extremely organized, professional, efficient. We usually go an hour and a half to two hours. I let them know from the beginning what we're, how long we're going to go, what the objective is, um, and exactly what we're doing. I lay it out. I, I hand out a, uh, 
a, a practice itinerary to both of my assistants. I assign them courts, and we go. It's very professional, disciplined, focused, and great attention to detail. And uh, for us, that's what's worked. Um, and not a lot of time is wasted. You know, you can get a lot done in ninety minutes to two hours. Mm-hmm. Yes, the intensity that counts. Um, Coach Bullen, do you do much uh, of, uh, I guess, uh, feeding? Uh, like, uh, do you do you feed balls much and and focus on drills and such, or is it uh, like ninety nine percent live play? No, I mean we for sure uh, mix it up. You know, in the fall especially, um, we we'll do hand feeding. We'll do feeding out of the baskets. Um, we'll, we'll do a lot of, you know, serve and returning and et cetera. So again, every individual is, uh, organized and, and thought through in terms of what's best for the individual players, um, that day. Um, we try to get the players input. They have to text me by 10 PM the night before, if they want to have input in their practice for their individuals or team practice, I can't always do it with team practice, but I certainly want to read what they have to say. Um, and then we also get it in their weekly dialogues when they put into writing some things that they want to improve on or what's going well or how we can serve them better and so on. So there's a lot of positives that come out of that. So there's constant communication, um, consistent feedback, um, and it goes both ways. So, um, yeah, no, we, we do all those variations, and that includes the spring as well, you know, during team practice. I mean, when I write up team practice with my assistants, we may break it into three small practices. In other words, Carlos is leading a court and he's doing some hand feeding because that's what the two guys on the court need. And then we'll do some feeding out of the basket on another court and we'll do some point play on two other courts. Again, it's all being creative and adapting and adjusting to the situation you have at the time and what's best for each individual player while thinking collectively as a team. Um, the great things about team practice are obvious, you know, the, the point play, the competitiveness, the camaraderie, uh, the opportunity to make the most out of having one another. And so we try to balance that out, you know, the team with the individual. And I, I believe that's why our system has worked for us. Again, a year from now, I might change. You know, I, this is what's working for us right now. But, you know, I evaluate the program and every detail at the end of every year in June. I speak to the players. I speak to the staff. I, I take inventory. I get feedback. And then I start writing up what it is we're going to do in the future. And again, it's a constant willingness and ability to adapt and adjust and, and really understand what it is we have and how we're going to do it and why and what works best for that situation at the time. Fantastic. Love the individualized approach. Uh, I mean, you can't generalize if you want to uh, maximize your performance, certainly. Um, so our audience, Coach Boland, uh, they love drills. So I know there's hundreds of thousands of drills, but could you just maybe give us a two that come to mind uh, that you that you like, um, you know, putting your players through in terms of drills? Sure. I mean, you're right when you say there's thousands of different drills. <laughs> I mean, there's no question there is. And um, you know, there's a, there's there's a number of different drills that we do. We'll work on things like you know the four ball drill we have, where it's serve first strike, return first strike. I like to do that because there's no two more important shots in the game. Um, you can even turn that into a game where if it's neutral, the guy returning wins the point. If it's offensive after the fourth ball, the guy serving wins the point. Um, I think that's a good one. There's the basic warm-up drills that you can do with the cross courts, playing games to seven cross court, 
Um, I love doing a lot of the spreading the court drills where you go up the middle and one side when he decides to spread the court. So you got to spread the single sideline and then you play the point out. Um, we'll do a lot of, uh, you know, point play where you can, sl- you know, you can s- slice cross court and then someone who steps around and hits a forehand inside in or pulls their backhand line first or slices line, you play out the whole court. So, I mean, again, I could, I could spill out a hundred drills right now. Um, if anyone in your audience wants me to send them some drills that they believe it would help a specific area of the game, I certainly would be happy to do that. Um, please spread out your emails and give me some time, but <laughs> I'd, I'd love to help if, if there's certain things that they don't feel that um, are really working in terms of areas of the game. Um, and, and honestly, um, I, 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 there's always new you know, what's interesting about this game is that sometimes the way I work is um, I'll try new things all the time. And I surprise myself sometimes um, because you can really get creative with this game without overdoing it, particularly when it comes to drills. And I've, I've probably uh, had more fun in the game of tennis, especially over the summers, um, just thinking creatively. Remember I told you at the beginning of this conversation how I love to fish in northern Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Some of my drills in my life have come in the middle of Lake Winnebagosh when nobody's around because that's when my best thinking takes place. So sometimes you got to step out of the forest to see it. And for me, that's that's been a really precious time in my life to get creative with tennis. Oh, that's wonderful. I mean, you know, a lot of uh, great, I guess, great ideas that I come up with that I think are cool are when I'm sometimes meditating, when I actually probably shouldn't be thinking about so many things, but uh, just a quiet time really helps me, um, you know, think uh, creatively. So, you know, we touched on this earlier as well in in how it can be tough sometimes for players who aren't in the lineup, uh, you know, to uh, be team-oriented, uh, certainly not in, in your team, but how do you figure out the lineup? Is it more than just challenge matches? I mean, what do you look at to determine who plays what position? I've never played a challenge match that I can remember in 21 years. Wow. Uh, not a huge fan of challenge matches. I think that I think that's the easy way out for a coach. I'd certainly rather that the players blame the coach than the players blame the players hmm. for something that didn't go right in a particular challenge match. How oh, they match up better with this guy or that guy. Then they try to avoid playing each other or practicing together and making each other better. I, I, I just That's never been my way. I'm not saying that my way is the right way. It's just what's worked for me. I'd rather them put it on me. You know, honestly, it works itself out. Um, I'll tell you what. Um, there's a few times every year I let the players privately uh, fill out a lineup sheet and send it to me. It's the same. They know. The players know what the correct lineup is. If, it's a great way for you to understand, too, that, you know, look, I've never had the players get it wrong. When you honestly ask them, hey, what's the lineup, and you spread them out, and they, and they do their own lineup sheet, and you, they put themselves in there whether they belong, maybe it's one spot. But the truth of the matter is it's also an integrity check for you because the players know. If you got a guy in the wrong position, you're losing credibility with your own players. Mm-hmm. You know, you they may not tell you and say, oh, you know, this is great for the team and we have a big advantage. But, again, they don't respect you because they know that you're cheating. So at the end of the day, you're kind of cheating yourself. No, you are cheating yourself. And the players know. The players know who, who's the most consistent best player, who's second, who's third, who's fourth. Maybe they're off one spot, one – you know, five five guys think this guy's four, and five other guys think they, this guy's five. But 
everybody knows. I mean, it works itself out. Maybe a little more difficult at the beginning of the year, but not really. I mean, if I brought my team in in January and I said, hey, guys, what's the lineup? I think if I did the same thing with the coaching staff, it would be exactly the same. No different. I really love that. that. Yeah. It's not that hard. I love um, that. I've never seen a, a group of players that I've had get it wrong. Never. If they've been a little off, it's because the position between like four and five is close. But what's sad oftentimes is the coach puts in the lineup and the players know it's wrong. They, they know every time. You're not fooling anybody. And you're not really fooling the other team either. But you're definitely not fooling your players. Mm-hmm. You lose credit. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm surprised there's so many lineup problems in this country. Um, because what coaches have to understand is their players know. And you lose respect and credibility. I mean, again, there may be some variation between one spot, but you talk that through. And that's where great leadership and communication come in, not just from the coach, but also the player. I've never had a problem with it. No, I mean, I, that's fantastic. I think a lot of coaches are going to really appreciate uh, the different approach that you're taking with respect to. Uh, you know, the lineups, first of all, you know, kudos to your team again, because this shows uh, the integrity that they have in their, um, you know, their team oriented approach and how they want the program to succeed rather than themselves. Otherwise, you'd have uh, many more, uh, you know, different lineups uh, submitted to you. I'm going to ask you two uh, questions on different side of the totem pole, I suppose. What is what has been the toughest moment for you as a coach at the University of Virginia? Well, I think we've all had a lot of difficult, challenging moments in our careers. Um, Probably some of the most challenging moments for me was when somebody lost their father. And I've had that happen to me a couple times. And in one instance, I was the one who had to tell the young man because the mother was unable to do it. I don't think there's anything that compares to that. Mm. Um, You know, we really become much more than a coach to these young men. And it's an incredible responsibility, obligation. Um, And we better make sure that we use the influence that we have on these young men in a way that is positive because it's going to be with them the rest of their lives. And so I I would say those were the instances that nothing really compares to that. Um, There's been other things much more minor um, that were certainly challenging, you know, in terms of the you know, losing in national championships last match on or, you know, that sort of thing. But that's like at the end of the day, that's so minor compared to, you know, the more important things in life when we coaches actually really get challenged. You know, again, I mean, we're all competitive. We all love winning. But, you know, these kids are on a journey and these are very challenging times of their lives. Maybe you could argue for some of them, without question, the most challenging and when they're going to grow up the most and the first time they're away from home. And, you know, a lot of tears are shed. And you better um, you better embrace that as an opportunity to have influence uh, in a positive way. Because, look, there's a lot of coaches out there in a number of sports across the country that are top 10, that win consistently. And to be honest, they don't do the world a lot of good. Um, I hope that that's not the case at the University of Virginia. I you know, our purpose, my purpose, it's all over the locker rooms, is to make the world a better place to live through tennis. That's what I hope I do each and every day, and I remind my players of that. And if I don't do that, then I ought to do something else with my life. Um, but I really take my responsibility in terms of leading these young men and influencing them in a positive way seriously. There's nothing that's more important um, in my profession. Um, and then, obviously, 
you know, to make sure too, that, you know, a lot of us coaches have families and, um, you don't want your players, uh, your student athletes to think that in order to succeed, you have to work 24 hours a day. We talk about balance as coaches. We talk about priorities. Well, better make sure you have them right yourself. Mm-hmm. And I haven't always had them right. And so, um, you know, I want my players to leave kind of understanding what is success, what is fulfillment, what is happy, and what was coach all about, and, and what were coaches' weaknesses and so on. Those are all things that you learn along the way. But, again, you ask me what the most challenging thing is, it's tell a young man that his father passed away or his mother. I just haven't had that thankfully and hopefully i don't have to go through another parent death in the future but i've had to do it yeah knock on wood uh, i mean that's tough and um i mean just your you know it's incredible how your approach to making sure that each individual is developed to their full potential results in a lot of success for the university um you know the team other lives and i think that's really the, the the greatest and most um, giving approach that any coach can have. And uh, you've got a lot of good karma, I'm sure, as well, for all your efforts, uh, you and your staff. Thanks. I I try hard. (laughs) Not perfect, still learning, but I try really hard. Yeah, for sure. We're all all learning, um, for sure. And um, so by the same token, of course, I'm going to ask you this, and uh, you've had a lot of them, but uh, what's your fondest or greatest memory uh, as a coach at Virginia? I mean, this sounds really kind of maybe maybe hard for people to believe. Um, and I actually did not think it would be the case when I uh, had a lot of extrinsic desire to win national titles and ACC titles. And honestly, oftentimes breaking through the first time to win a championship is really satisfying, whether it was in the ACC in 2004, the NCAA championship in 2013. Um, those are really special moments, but to be totally candid with you, seen a lot of young men get married Hmm. and that has really been special. Hmm. I mean that I have, I've only missed a couple former players weddings and to go there. And oftentimes you see like the entire groom's party is your players. I mean, that's pretty special. Um, extremely satisfying. And I would never have thought that, you know, I think as a young coach, you're really competitive and I do this and I got to do that. And I've got to, you know, you want to start the world on fire. You want to win championships and that's great. And you should strive for that. But there's so many other things that are, they're fulfilling for a lifetime. And it's the relationships. People talk about it. Um, you hear about it, but you kind of have to experience it. To be honest, um, I could tell a young coach these things, but they kind of have to experience it themselves. And, and, and it's hard work. I mean, you have to embrace those things um, to or in order to really enjoy the process of watching these young men grow up after they leave and get their first big job or, you know, do something special on their own or, you know, when they get married, their wedding days or have their first child. I mean, I mean, I stay in touch with these guys and I feel like I'm, I'm always a part of their life. And, and those are pretty big moments. So my wife and I have spent a lot of time at weddings, um, <laughs> you know. And it's been quite an experience. It's really satisfying for me. I mean, again, everyone has, I'm not judging that if someone said, you know, winning my first conference championship or AC championship or, or whatever it may be, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I understand that. And if you're asking me today, what has been my most satisfying moments, those would be it. Yeah. I mean, I I love that answer. Uh, Weddings are a heck of a lot of fun. 
Um, so I'm not totally surprised. Um, but I do remember, well, I talked to Tret, and so he mentioned that he had gone to, I think it was Samdev's wedding, was it a couple of months ago? <laughs> and, uh, and I believe I saw, excellent. And I, I believe I saw a picture of, you know, pretty much the whole team. And I think you were there in the picture and, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Guard India. Uh, yeah. 12 of us over there and a lot of wives and girlfriends. <laughs> And it was awesome. Um, it was a really special moment, and we're happy for Sanam. You know, I knew his wife um, when she was at San Jose, and she would visit Charlottesville once in a while. And um, you know, it was just again just sharing those moments. You know, those life-altering experiences, those things that you know really do matter. Um, you know, again, you know, I look at when I look at like trophies or things that we've accomplished. You never really look at the trophy and think about the win. You think about the people. Mm. You think about the people and those memories and where are they today and what are they doing and all that stuff sounds like a little cheesy or whatever. But um, for me, I, again, when I was a young coach, I was just competitive. You know, I'm going to turn these guys into champions and, you know, and, that, and I did my best. But but now if you ask me today, I mean, those are the things that are really touching. And, and um, to be at a wedding in Chandigarh, India, you know, marching down the street with music and a band and, and Saddam on a horse. And, man, holy moly, man. Like, that was that was the real deal. That was fun. Um, that's, that's an experience that is just amazing, really. I mean, that's just something. If you ever think the things that a tennis has done for these young people, it's such an incredible tool to become better leaders, to learn to deal with adversity, to learn to play as a team in college. Um you know, to learn to build relationships, to understand the value of them. I mean, the list goes on forever. I mean, the tool of tennis uh, is extraordinary. And that's why I say, like, my obligation is to make these young men great leaders. And that starts with me being a good mentor and leader for them and helping them understand how things associate and how one thing affects another. And when they start understanding, you know, um, when they learn to think critically and they, they learn to connect dots as to how all these things touch upon one another, um, it's amazing how much they grow and improve and develop. And then to watch them, you know, five, 10, 15 years after they graduate and see the successes they have in their lives, their professions, uh, their families, their communities. And I see it every day. I mean, it's like a dream. It's amazing, you know, and you're so you're just you're happy for them. And the, the one thing about the weddings is, at least for that day, everybody's smiling, everybody's happy, and everyone loves seeing each other. Um, you know, there'll be the other side of that too someday. You know, I haven't had to, you know, deal with the other side of it where you're at a, a funeral someday with a, you know, hopefully that never happens. But you know, I know coaches who've had to experience that and those untimely things that we all, you know, all things come to an end and. Um, you know, that, that's a, that's a situation you need for that too. Um, so, I mean, the, the impact and the influence of a coach, if you, if you talk to, uh, people and this is what the responsibility is to be a coach is if I said to a lot of people, Hey, you know, name the most, name the five most influential people in your life. Coach comes up quite a bit. So we better take that pretty seriously and be grateful for the opportunity to have that kind of influence and use that influence in the right way. Certainly, Coach Bowen. And I also love the theme that you brought up, which is how 
Uh, all the skills that you learn in tennis translate to your success in life. I mean, there's so many that you can name that that you already did, such as uh, discipline and battling adversity and being able to problem solve. And um, yeah, I mean, the list goes on and on. And then tennis really teaches you how to how to be the best that you can be. And then you could transfer those skills to all other areas of your life, uh, relationships, work, uh, anything. So it's such a beautiful sport and it has so much uh, utility. Um, yeah. And, uh, so how has UVA men's tennis changed over the years? I mean, more than just the, the rankings and the championships, but what else is, has changed, if anything? Well, I think probably what's changed more than anything is these guys put on the orange and blue and they are so proud. You know, when I first came there, I don't think it, it had the meaning or responsibility or obligation that it does today. These guys feel a tremendous pride and obligation and responsibility when they are wearing that V-saber for the tennis program. Um, they feel grateful. They feel blessed, honored, prideful. I would say without question, there's nothing that means more to those guys. And they're so proud to wear the uniform. And they feel a responsibility to represent it in a way that would make so many people that invested so much into it be proud yeah that's a very powerful motivator and why you're part of why your team's so successful so one tough question slash issue is you know the elimination of uh, college tennis programs so unfortunately you know i, I played at U umbc university of maryland baltimore county and my program was uh eliminated sadly this uh past year i know we, we actually played you once uh, not when i was on the team but a while ago um, well that I can remember, but, uh, you know, with more college tennis teams being cut, um, what can we do, uh, do you think to help preserve, uh, what we have and, and maybe grow new programs? Stay positive, um, and do, do it by understanding that as college coaches, uh, we have to, uh, we have to make sure that instead of always asking for things that we, uh, do things to make our administration's jobs easier, not harder, uh, more uh, enjoyable and less painful. Um, we're more proactive in our communities. We try to embrace and engage opportunities to become more self-sufficient. Uh, we take on a bigger responsibility uh, off the court to engage people that will invest in what we're doing through the university um, I think it all comes down to leadership. Every bit of it comes down to leadership. And that's not to be critical for anyone who's had their program cut because sometimes those things blindside us. But I think if we're all thinking ahead, we should plan as if our program is going to get cut. No matter where you are, who you are, what school you're at, how much tradition you have, we should all put prayer as if our program's next. And if we do that, it's less likely that we'll be next. I like that. That's a very good uh, outlook. Well, you know, I, I think to help us prepare, I mean, they always say, um, hope for the best, prepare for the worst. I think that's how that goes, <laughs> at least. Um, but that's a you know powerful saying. So a couple other questions, Coach. I mean, again, I appreciate your time so much. Um, I'm really uh, interested in the routines and habits of uh, very successful people such as yourself so first question for you is um do you have a morning routine and if so what is it uh 
I don't know if I should uh, be transparent about this. Um, okay. I get up really early. I'm a morning person. I get about five o'clock. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love coffee. <laughs> it was National Coffee Day yesterday, by the way. Oh. One of the best days of the year. <laughs> I love coffee. I love to start my day with coffee. I love the mornings. Um, there's nothing better than a cool morning. Um, I think my best um, my best thoughts are done at that time. I'm most clear. Um, I'm really eager to get out of bed and get started. I like to tell you that I work out first thing every morning, but I don't. Um, I work out occasionally in the morning, sometimes if I can fit it in the afternoon, but I also am fortunate where I get to do some hitting or training throughout the day, so most of that does eventually get taken care of. Um, but routine is good, and so that's something that um, I admire for coaches or any leaders or any professional who starts their day in the gym. I think that's great. Um, but, um, you know, that that's probably my, my morning routine. Um, I definitely spend time with my children when they get out of bed, which is a little later than me. Um, I try to – I have four children of my own, 16, 14, 11, and 9, two girls, two boys. Right. Um, I don't make it to the bus stop as much as I probably should, but I, I definitely want to make sure that they all get a hug and a good luck during the day. Those things are really important. You don't get those times back. Uh, I just enjoy a little time to myself, uh, some, some clear thinking, some emails. Um, occasionally, I get out and do the exercise first, depending on what's ahead for the day. I love to do some reading, writing in the morning, but I also like to spend that 30 to 45 minutes with my kids and family, and then boom, I'm out the door and I go. And um, I try to get home at dinner every night. Um, that's something that I've done a much better job of over the years. I think it's important for your team to see that that's important to you. You don't want your you don't want your young people that play for you um, to 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 think that in order to be successful, uh, to order to order to be a, the best at what you do, that you need to work twenty four seven. I think that's a dangerous scenario, mm. and I believe our society oftentimes admires that. And I I've come to realize over the years that it's really important for you. Uh, to understand that you really value that that uh, sense of balance. I have not always been a great example on that, uh, but I've really worked hard over the years um, to make sure that you know you spend that quality time with the people you you love so much. And so every morning of mine is taken up with some of that for sure. Fantastic, Coach Bowen. I really appreciate that. Uh, I mean, the morning is this uh, invaluable time to get done uh, what you need to get done. Uh, with you know, I, I personally work best when things are quiet, and that's the time to do it. And there's certainly no way in hell that I could uh, you know have this podcast and blog uh, with working full time. So I wake up in the morning uh, and I have to exercise usually. Otherwise, I'm still a zombie. So I'll get up around five thirty or six and then do my thing. What about your coffee? I do have coffee. Uh, we're fortunate enough to have an amazing machine in, in uh, where I live. So I, I go to the gym straight, work out for a little bit, and then I get the cup of coffee and then, you know. Good for you. I well, I admire that. That's a great routine to get in the gym in the morning. That's great. Thanks. Thanks. That helps. Um, another question. Um, if you could gift somebody uh, three books to help them uh, with their personal development and or tennis game, uh, what would they be? Um, my favorite book is, uh, again, this is off the, re- the, the, uh, there's so many great tennis books. I mean, we all, you know, I just actually read again, the inner game of tennis yeah, It's yep. really an interesting book. It's quick. 
Um, great book by Galloway. But uh, some really good books that I think do resonate with tennis and really give coaches a purpose. Lead for God's Sake uh, by mm-hmm. Todd Gonworth. Um, good friend of mine, I think has done some amazing work in terms of leadership. Uh, it's a powerful read and I really mm-hmm. recommend people read it, particularly coaches who want to coach with a purpose and make a difference and a positive difference. That, that really is a special read. Um, from, a from, from uh, there's other books. I, I mean, I, I, this is dated back uh, maybe 15, 16 years ago, but I did like some lessons that Rick Pitino wrote about in Success is a Choice. I thought that was a really good book. Um, Jeff Kemp just came out with a, a, a book that talks about life and sport called Facing the Blitz, which I I thought there were some good pointers in there. Um, and then in terms of the tennis books, I mean, they're, they're endless. I, I, in fact, a book just came out in England that uh, I'm in. Um, it's called Playing Tennis Professionally. And, and so there, there's a lot of that out there. Um, but I think oftentimes, you know, I think there's a lot of people that have really good knowledge and fundamental knowledge of the game. I really do. Um, it's not so much about whether we have the knowledge and the fundamental knowledge of the game. It's how we use it, what kind of timing and tones and words and how we lead and how we influence, how we, how we deliver those messages, when and how and, and so on. And so that's where I think some of these other reads can help you so much uh, become a better coach. And maybe, you know, there's some good business books you can read, too. I mean, I'm a big, fa- big fan of Jim Collins, who wrote Good to Great. I, I think there, again, you don't need to even read the book from start to finish, but there's some great lessons in there that may resonate which what can help you in terms of being a coach. And I think the other thing we ought to do, and I'll just throw this out there, and one of the things I've learned to do over the years is I think there's a lot of great coaches out there that have tremendous knowledge and information. Um, they need to tell it. They need to tell it. They need to talk about it. They need to be open about it. Um, I think sometimes the competitive world of tennis, understandably, uh, doesn't allow uh, people to grow enough because they're not transparent. They're not open. They're not trying to teach. And that's something I'm very proud of that I've tried to do over the last several years um, and more now than ever. Just give back. Just uh, share information. And um, we can all learn and grow and make the world a better place through tennis because of it. I think that's wonderful advice. Uh, first of all, thanks for, for the books. I'm definitely uh, going to link to them in the show notes at tennisfiles.com slash 34, where everyone can find them. Um, but yeah, it's just, again, just sharing knowledge. I mean, you don't have anything to lose. You're helping a lot of people grow, uh, which should be first and foremost um, in any coach's mind. And then you're also gaining credibility, you know, by all the knowledge that you're spreading as well. And uh, I mean, the, you know, like you say, a lot of people... They think that they should be compensated for everything, but I mean, I think if you take a different approach and just just share what you have, that I think you're gonna benefit and help those around you benefit. So, um, for sure, uh, Coach Boland. Uh, again, this is kind of like the drill uh, question, but you've received, I'm sure, tons of amazing advice from mentors and and other coaches and such. But what would you say is the most important piece of advice? Uh, that you've ever received. Wow. Boy, you're <laughs> me on the spot now. I know. <laughs> um, you know, to be honest, probably from my wife, um, her kind of leading by example around me and her ability to, um, really understand and influence me on the importance of, of grace. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words that 
the worst decisions you ever make in your life are ones that are emotional or impulsive. So never get too high, never get too low. And Becky, my wife, is a natural at staying even healed. And I think that's true on the court and off the court that we always need to breathe and gather facts and kind of take a deep breath before we make decisions that affect ourselves and most importantly, those that we care so much about. Mm -hmm. And I don't think anyone does that better than my wife, Becky. Nice. Oh. Shout out to Becky. So, Thank you for influencing. Shout out to Becky for being my, not only my wife, but my coach and mentor too. And there is a lot of truth to that. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. That was fantastic stuff. Love the shout out. Um, so Coach Boland, uh, where can our audience follow you and UVA Tennis? Well, I mean, I think the most obvious way is www.virginiasports.com. Um, going to the men's tennis page to find schedules, highlights. Uh, we have a Virginia tennis Twitter page, Facebook page. Um, I, I, I even think Melissa might have us on Instagram now under Virginia tennis. Uh, and so there's, I think those are probably the main ways. There's also a Wahoo tennis update that comes out every Tuesday. Um, that you can request uh, from me by emailing me to UVA tennis at virginia.edu. All we need on that is your name, address, uh, phone number, and email. Um, and if we have those things, we can put you on the Wahoo update once every Tuesday it comes out. This gives highlights, uh, summaries, information on our program, special features. So we do that. And then, of course, uh, what I just mentioned. So those are the, And then there's another interesting page, uh, www virginiasportstv.com there's a men's tennis page on highlights videos interviews etc so there's i mean media today you can find anything <laughs> exactly exactly and i really enjoy watching um virginia tennis clips obviously the highest level uh, college tennis there is and uh, a lot of great things you can learn from watching uh you guys play uh, so Coach Boland, um, you know, one last question that we ask all our esteemed guests, such as yourself. Uh, what is one tip that you can give our audience that will help them improve their tennis games? Sure. Um, I would say focus on, and this sounds a little bit uh, maybe different. I would say really focus on your strengths and mm -hmm. Uh, have an identity by, by using those strengths to your advantage. And the second thing I would say to our coaches out there and to our students is stop using the word weakness because if you fixate on the word weakness and you use it, you will forever have a weakness. I really do believe that. I, I think what happens is we say this is weak, let's fix it. And oftentimes we do fix it fundamentally, but then when the pressure picks up, it's still weak in the mind, hmm. so you tend to break down. I've had many players over the years be told that one side or another is weaker or this area is weaker, and I think that there's better words in which to use than this is a weakness because it may get improved and may even become one of your better shots in practice, but that under pressure oftentimes never goes away. And that's why it's so important at a very young age that we're very, very careful in the words we use to these young people because um, that, that brain chemistry is hard to change. And when pressure picks up, they go right back to that trigger point. Huh. I really like that. Um, I was just um, in the midst of putting together a uh, 
free guide on how to uh, formulate a game plan, basically. And so I used weakness several times. Uh, <laughs> now I'm going to have to figure out a different word. Uh, are there any terms you use, uh, alternate terms that you might suggest, perhaps? I, I don't I don't I try not to talk about anything in terms of weakness. I do use the word neutralize. Let's let's use this shot to set up your forehand or your strength or mm. you know, let's let's use your serve to set up going to the open court with, you know, your backhand or your forehand or maybe come in and you know, so I try to avoid that particular obsession that we tend to have right. as coaches and leaders. I mean, we just I've heard it for a long time, and I and, and and the longer that goes on, the harder it is to change. Um, and and yes, you can change it. I've seen it change and actually become an equal to the strength in a practice. But then when the pressure picks up, oftentimes they tend to they tend to never forget how many times they've been told something's a weakness, and therefore it's forever a weakness. Hmm. Hmm. Another piece of uh, gold from you. Um, Coach, oh, I don't know. Yeah, that's, There's I, a I, lot of great coaches out there. I have so much respect for my colleagues in college tennis around the country. I think U.S. tennis, uh, led by Martin Blackman and player development, is getting better. And my next I'm excited guest. about the direction that Tim Russell and the ITA is going. Um, I think tennis in this country is on the up and up. And I, I really believe that people need to be more positive. Uh, approach to it all. I really think that a lot of great things are happening. There's so much knowledge out there, so many tremendous leaders and coaches in our sport, and I think we need to embrace all that and really stay positive. I think the best is in front of U.S. tennis. For sure. Um, it's, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Coach Martin Blackman. Um, I have the honor of uh, interviewing him this coming Monday. Um, head of USA Player Development, uh, such a, another great guy, um, you know, and he used to be, uh, I think he was local to us. He, he taught around, uh, the Maryland DC area for a while, um, and coached some of my friends as well. So, uh, coach Spolin, I, I can't thank you enough. Um, you know, our audience probably doesn't know until now that we, we, uh, spoke a little bit a few days ago and, and it, things just, uh, you know, things were tough as far as scheduling. Uh, coach Bowen's a very, oh, well, okay. I, I mean, you know, coach Bowen and I were speaking and, uh, I guess, uh, in the middle of it, uh, coach, uh, realized they needed a flight to catch. So we had to end, uh, you know, that conversation, uh, but, uh, well, I made it, but barely. They yeah. almost shut the door, but I made it. Oh, man. I would have <laughs> felt so horrible if you missed that fight. But, uh, Coach Boland, uh, just, I really can't thank you enough for, for speaking with me, uh, this length of time. It was an absolute pleasure. And, uh, I really appreciate what you're doing to impact, uh, us, countless players' lives and, um, just giving back to tennis. Um, I'm, you know, it's so many people that appreciate what you've been doing. And, uh, just thank you for all that. And uh, and appreciate you coming on the show. And hopefully I'll talk to you again soon. And uh, it, it, I really appreciate all the uh, advice that you gave our audience today. Thank you. And uh, on behalf of all of us who love the sport so much and want to have a positive influence on people, make a positive difference. So thank you to what you do and continue the great work. Thanks, Coach Bowen. I really appreciate it. Well, all right, guys, there you have it. Uh, my interview with Coach Brian Boland. Um, I really appreciate Coach uh, being on the show. He was really uh, amazing and giving me so much time uh, to, to speak uh, on the show. 
And uh, as we mentioned, we first connected, um, I guess, a couple of weeks ago, and then we spoke initially a few, a few days ago, and then uh, we had to cut it off. But uh, Coach Poland still gave uh, our audience uh, well over an hour and a half of amazing content that I think will, you know, first of all, help a lot of players improve their game immensely, uh, immensely from a mental standpoint especially and and getting their mind right and what they need to do to improve their games and also a lot of incredible advice for uh, coaches both aspiring coaches and current coaches and especially those in the college ranks to learn from uh, the best in the business in uh, Brian Boland so uh, thanks coach and looking forward to speaking with you soon I also just wanted to uh, ask if you guys um, you know enjoy the show or if you don't uh, to leave an honest review on iTunes or whatever uh, on whatever podcast app you listen to the show on. Uh, you know I really appreciate any feedback that you guys have. So if you could leave a review, that would be awesome. And um, I also just want to leave you guys with a quote, and I just want to repeat what uh, Coach Boland said on the show as today's quote which is, uh, and I hope I don't butcher this, but um, if you only water one side of a plant, then the other side of it, uh, you know, it'll, it'll die out. So, um, you know, that that was my best impression of Coach Bowen, but essentially take care of uh, all aspects of, of what you're doing because, uh, for example, tennis is a very complex sport uh, and you have to keep your body right, your mind right, um, you know, there's v- v- many elements within each one of these things, um, you know, fitness, speed, agility, uh, and in your strokes, and just so many things, and, and you have to tr- do your best to keep a good balance so that your game will flourish. Um, so all the best to you guys, and I hope you'll tune in to the next episode where I will interview uh, Coach Martin Blackman, the head of uh, USCA player development. Uh, It would be another great interview for you guys. So um, in the meantime, keep improving your game. Um, Take care of yourselves. And uh, we'll see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.